Red Apple Media Podcast Network presents This is Protecting America. Now, here's Emmy-winning journalist Rita Cosby. And welcome to another edition of Protecting America. I'm Rita Cosby. An arrest has been made in the Gilgo Beach, Long Island murders. And there are so many unanswered questions about the case and the suspect. And joining us now is Mike Sapraconi. He is a retired New York Police Department detective and also a nationally recognized security expert who is a global security firm in the heart of Long Island, employing 600 active and retired members members of law enforcement. Mike, really great to have you here on the podcast. Oh, Rita, thank you so much for having me here tonight. What was your reaction to the fact that this guy, uh, a family guy, a father of two, uh, married right there in Long Island, that he is the suspect? Well, first of all, I think it's amazing what uh, the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office and the Suffolk County Police Department and the State Police and the Bureau FBI and NASA put together to form this task force and actually solve a case that's been going on for 13 years. So I think it was just incredible teamwork and police work. Uh, And, you know, sometimes I guess I wasn't so surprised when you see where it happened or the information given. You kind of look at this and say, wow, this is unbelievable. Maybe some of this fits as you think about it a little bit, right? What were the parts that fit to you? Um, And just as you said, it really was incredible law enforcement teamwork and piecing it together like old shoe leather, uh, you know, sort of policing, if you will, following the leads. What struck you the most? Well, Yerman seems to be a pretty smart person. He's an architect, right? He lives not far from the area in the general vicinity of Gilgo Beach, okay? And and he was able to elude the police for so many years. So it wasn't an amateur. It wasn't somebody who had no idea what they were doing. It was somebody who was calculated, thought about the process. This wasn't just a crime of opportunity. This was a well-planned situation, as if he's building a house as an architect. So to me, that wasn't surprising when we found out who the suspect was, that those things kind of fit. This wasn't just somebody off the street. Like I said, it wasn't a crime of opportunity. This was well thought of and planned. Walk us through the history. You're a guy from Long Island. Walk us through the history of what happened um, with these other incidents. Obviously, the bodies coming up. We know part of what sort of started it was Shannon Gilbert um, called, of course, authorities and said, you know, I'm being followed. Um, and that's what opened the door to the Gilgo for the bodies being discovered ultimately. And then ultimately, they found hers, too, as well later. But walk us through sort of how this sort of became revealed, because the whole country was on edge. Well, we don't even know how far back this really goes or what else other than those 10 girls. I'm not sure exactly how far it goes. But as of 2010, after that incident about being followed, they started to find they found the first four bodies right there within like a 10 to 20 foot similarity from the beach or from the road. And then as they kept doing their investigation, they found more and more and more bodies. And they started to put it together and see, and, you know, I think originally they had said someone asked, is there a serial killer? And I think the commissioner at the time, his his wording was, well, we don't know if it's a serial killer, but it has some similarities. Well, you know, as a detective, if you don't think that this is just not an, uh, a coincidence that you find 10 bodies in the same area, it wasn't like a local dumping ground. So that I thought was very important. And I think that was a big part of giving investigators some leads into what was going on with this. 
also the bodies um, were discovered, that at least some of them clearly wrapped in burlap. Um, kind of describe how that was also unique, too. Well, I think at first they thought it was like, or they, a lot of times the police department will not give out a lot of information. We'll give out little bits of information just to kind of keep the media happy and to kind of feed out some stuff. But they won't talk about exact things because you want to wait until you've made an arrest or gotten some suspects. And then maybe that person knows a little bit more about the stuff you didn't give out. And that kind of helps you to say, wow, we have the right person here. So that burlap, I think people thought it was kind of the burlap that was around trees. You know how when you plant trees? Well, that's that's not the kind it was. It was used for other things. And that kind of matched like more of a camouflage type of burlap. So that when they found those things and they started putting it together and doing their investigation, I believe they said this is completely different than we thought. And this is not just going to lead us to a landscape or to a nursery or to someplace like that. This has a little bit different touch to it. And also um, the bodies, some of them obviously were decomposed. They were skeletal remains. Um, The fact that they, as you just pointed out, they were so close to each other and sadly sort of the similar MO, if you will, you know, with the burlap. Um, Right away, did that sort of trigger, oh gosh, we've got something really serious on our hands? Oh, without a doubt. I'm sure it did. Uh, And again, you know, you don't, police don't want the public to panic and worry they can't go out, you can't go to the beach, you can't go out at night. So I think they kept every, as much as they could under wraps and let it just ride out as they held their investigation. You know, you you look at something, and we call this a cold case, right? And you're familiar with that. At at some point, homicides or any case go cold, and a new fresh look at at it, fresh fresh eyes on a case, sometimes brings out things that were missed in the past. And I think that is really what happened here. And they really put a team together to look at every single thing and try to review this case from the beginning. And a lot of things started adding up as they reviewed it. You know, in fact, um, Suffolk County uh, District Attorney uh, Ray Tierney made it like his vow that he was going to, you know, assign a task force and try to solve this case. Um, and kudos to him, like you just said, for organizing this really like amazing consortium of law enforcement. And and I use the expression, uh, you know, Mike, of sort of good shoe leather, because it really is incredible how they piece together uh, the burner phones, the DNA, um, the wife's schedule. I mean, all these things. Let's walk through some of them. Uh, the burner phone, I thought was really interesting. Uh, the suspect was using burner phones. Describe that because, um, you know, obviously from your great experience in law enforcement, uh, me having the pleasure to cover law enforcement for many years, usually it's gang members, drug dealers who are using burner phones. Describe kind of who uses burner phones and that sort of opened the door to someone interesting too. Well, I think over the years that's changed. Okay. And, you know, you talk about uh, shoe weather and detectives really walking around and gathering information. So you certainly had that here in this case. And then you certainly had the new technology of computers and DNA and, and being able to track these phones and get pings on these phones. So most people, it used to be just drug dealers, gang members, they had these throwaway phones. Now it's become more of a common thing and used for other crimes, okay? So what he did was, I believe he had a different phone for each of these four homicides, or the three at least that he's being charged with, and they're looking at a fourth phone. And what they were able to do, and really only the FBI has this capability, they were able to lock this into like a box, and that's what they call it, a box area. And that box of those phones formed around the Massapequa, Massapequa Park area. And then they were able to make another box of where these other calls were coming from or going to, and they were in the Manhattan area, the Times Square area, where his office was. So now you had these two points of reference, 
And now what they were going to start to do was to see how they connected those references. Who did they have in that Manhattan area that was also in that Massapequa, Massapequa Park area? And how often were these phones used? So that's a great bit of technology that, that developed over time. I think they had had that very early on after the initial investigation, but they had nowhere to go with it. They didn't have other pieces to the puzzle. So they were certainly putting this puzzle together for the last 13 years. But then, like I said before, it kind of went cold. Even though I noticed they had some information from a possible pimp for one of the girls who had, had described this guy as an ogre, okay, a horrid-looking person, a big, huge man. But he also had helped them out with the description of a car. And I think they had that information on the car, and they looked at that for many years, trying to put that together. But they kind of ignored the description, I believe, at first, yeah, it's interesting because they go back now. Um, obviously, boy, you see the guy. And in fact, when the perp walk hack happened of this guy, Rex Hurman, he is huge. He's six four, a big guy. Like that was the first thing that stood out to me is how big he was towering over, uh, you know, the detectives. Um, and this pimp, as you talked about, described a big guy. Um, someone also, I think it was the same one who described, uh, the Chevy Avalanche, the certain, and he had a Chevy Avalanche, apparently had another one, I think, in South Carolina too. I mean, there's, so it is really amazing to put that together. Um, when you hear that, too, also the pimp, they recalled the pimp back in, I understand, too, also, and said, hey, let's re-interview him. Let's have him kind of walk through this. Um, it's amazing, too. As you said, he lived near the area, too. Did yeah. did that surprise you or it didn't? Because just given the area that he kind of had to know the area. Well, that's a big point to it. Familiarity, right? And he was seemed to be familiar with the area. Could have been somebody grew up there, somebody went to the beach there in summers, or somebody who lived there. I wouldn't say this was an out-of-town person. This was certainly, in my eyes, a local person. And, you know, it's interesting. I think he has property down in South Carolina, and I believe he has some property in Vegas. And I know that they're starting those investigations or in actuality, they've probably been looking at those for a while, right? I wouldn't be surprised if you start hearing other little things come out of locations down in South Carolina and out in in Nevada or Las Vegas part of the area about other things that kind of match. And I know they're going to be looking at all missing persons. They're going to be looking at all, uh, they they use the term sex workers. I was, you know, an older cop, I still call them prostitutes, right? They're going to look at those things and find out how many missing sex workers or prostitutes there are in those areas, how many unsolved homicides do they have that might match this. So this is going to go nationwide, and they're going to look at every possible map or everything that might just have a little inkling of that this could be the same type of case. Also, I would imagine any kind of travels he has done, in addition to, say, South Carolina, apparently he was planning to retire there. I saw some reports. Um, and like you pointed out, you mentioned Las Vegas. I would imagine anywhere that this guy has traveled, um, you would think that they're going to say, wait, let's see any cases in those areas. Uh, without a doubt. I thought it was great work, too. They were able to pinpoint that his family had been away. And that's a tough thing to do. So they went into everything, travel plan, you know, probably reservation, uh, whatever it might be, tracking gas receipts or whatever they might have had to do. Uh, they did a lot of computer work. They were actually monitoring every time he was going online. Okay. So they did a lot of work to say, hey, his family is away during this period of time. So I'm sure as they keep investigating that, that will bring up other things 
that kind of tie in a little bit. What were your thoughts when you found out um, he's a family guy? I mean, he's married, as you pointed out. His wife, apparently, at least a few times was out of town so far, May you know, on the ones that they've pinpointed. Also, a father of two. Uh, does that surprise you, or is it just sort of this another example of somebody living two different lives? Well, we see so many examples of people living double lives that nobody even knows. I think was, I saw something this morning where when Police Commissioner, Commissioner Harrison and by the way, him and Tierney together, they're both new out there. Harrison only came a little bit before Tierney, I think. And then Tierney was elected in 22. They both worked so hard together as a team to put this task force together. And there was a, a comment made that his family was completely shocked by this and that they had no signs of any of this. But, you know, and I... I expect that in the in the near future, you're going to start hearing things from local people who are thinking about this a little more. And I'm going to say, you know, I remember seven years ago, at three o'clock in the morning, my dog was barking and I looked out and there was Rex, you know, cleaning off something in the backyard or hosing down a garbage can or, or going to putting a bag in his car. These things haven't come out yet, but I'm sure as people start to think about it more and they hear more about this, we're not going to be surprised that some strange things come out. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, there was a report of some interior designer who I think went to the house. Um, this is before all of this, obviously. And for some reason, he didn't want to show her a downstairs basement room. And there were reports that I guess in that basement room, there were tons of weapons. Um, he, I think, had a, I think it was a, a hunting permit, um, a hunting and target license, I think he had. Um, but it was sort of like this blocked off room um, where he wouldn't let anybody in, at least uh, not this interior designer. And she said it struck her. So it, it, maybe there was some secret room and, and a doll in the room. I mean, there's all these stories there, um, but it's it's really kind of chilling. But it makes you wonder, did the family, were they kind of blocked off from that room too? Right. And I'm sure we'll hear more about that. But then what did that person do with that information? Now, I'm not sure. Did they come forth years ago or is that something now? after this arrest that that person came up and said. So that's interesting, too, to see. A lot of times people see things and they don't, you know, we use that thing, if you see something, say something. People don't. People say, eh, I don't want to get involved. It has nothing to do with me. It seemed a little weird, but I'm not going to say anything. What if I'm wrong? So I'm just curious how that came about. But, you know, you talked about the weapons. Apparently he had permits for at least 92 weapons. I think after they did their search warrants, they came up with close to 200 weapons or so. So that's a little bit scary in itself. I mean, what do you need 200? What do you need 92 weapons for? And and I'm curious to see why departments, and I'm not knocking the National PD or the Suffolk PD or City PD, but why would somebody have so many permits or the state for hunting? With guns, 92 guns, it just seems a little excessive to me. Well, right? and, and one of the things, by the way, um, also apparently, I guess he didn't, there's no word yet that he had any sort of criminal record. Um, and, you know, in terms of uh, prior to this, but it is interesting, uh, the number of guns. And by the way, the number of guns also um, is part of the reason uh, that um, clearly they were really smart to get him as he was at the office. And in fact, it was like amazing teamwork you could see on the video where they approach him. I think he was leaving his office and it looks like he's standing almost by a newsstand or garbage can or something and they boxed him in. They cornered him in um, which would also explain why they wanted to do it at the office versus at the home. Correct. Yeah, they wanted. They didn't want him anywhere near those weapons. Uh, so again, great police work. But that's you know that's what cops and detectives do uh, Rita. It's not surprising to most people. 
that's the way their everyday lives are. They they set this up. They practice this stuff. They work together as a team. Uh, it's just a great arrest and a great investigation. Uh, very, very happy to see this come to some kind of closure. I mean, in a homicide, always difficult to bring closure to the victim's families and stuff, and you try your hardest. But this also brings closure to the police officers and the detectives who work these cases for years. And that's a big deal. That's the kind of reward we get as investigators and law enforcement uh, to be able to bring something to a good conclusion and try to bring closure to those victims' families. Yeah, no doubt. You're right, because talk about the determination. I'm sure there were so many officers um, that stayed up, you know, late at night thinking of all these victims and their family members and and, and wanting resolution. And and just that was my first thought was, thank goodness, some of these families that have been desperately seeking and law enforcement who have been tirelessly working on this, um, that they get some resolution. And hopefully some of these other unknown cases at this point get pieced together, just as you said. Don't you believe um, just from the history. And again, we don't know. Every case is different. But so far, they've pinpointed him with three killings. Uh, there were the four Gilgo four. So they maybe ultimately the fourth, it sounds like they're working on. Um, but isn't it sort of typical that somebody like this, um, there's probably other cases out there, I, I would assume at least other crimes. We don't know that for sure. But it, it's not like somebody suddenly does this, I don't think. I think there's probably, what's your sense of, do you think it's going to open maybe other many other cases? Well, well, you know, somebody has, everybody has to start somewhere, right? So what you say is very possible. This could have been the start of it. I'm sure as we go on, we'll find out what the, what his reason for doing this was. Are we going to find out he was mistreated as a child? He was mocked by a girlfriend? You know, uh, we're going to find out different little things that will kind of add up to where his psychic is on, on these situations. But I wouldn't be surprised if you find something somewhere else. And something that's on my mind and hasn't been mentioned by the police at all, you know, but you always look at it as a detective. Was he working with someone? Is this all done alone? It's just only him. You know, there's still six more bodies. They're not going to rush to any, any conclusion here. There's plenty of time now. They have a suspect. They're going to look at everything to try to tie him in, I'm sure, to all of these. But does he act alone? I just think that's interesting. Some rumors floated out at the very beginning that he might have been working with his wife. I don't remember exactly what the rumors were, but those seem to have gone away, and that doesn't seem to be real. But I'm, I'm curious see, do we find out that someone else he worked with or had some involvement with, or is it someone else's idea? Was he following a manifesto from something? Was he reading something online that, you know, was looking at serial killers? So I think those things will be interesting as they come out. Yeah, just see, uh, just as you said, what could motivate just this unconscionable, uh, uh, just horrific behavior. One thing we haven't touched on also is the pizza crust um, and the hair also, because they found, I think, the wife's hair, at least uh, at least a hair on one or two of the bodies or the burlap. Uh, they found his hair on one, at least it matched, those hairs matched through DNA. Um, and then they matched his DNA with the pizza crust that he throws out just recently. It's a great book, Rita. You should think about this, right? But it's just a great story, uh, how, that, how they work together and figure things out. So years ago, apparently the DNA... DNA that they got from the hair. So hair is more of a solid substance than the DNA we normally get, like a swab for your mouth or something like that. So that DNA preserves longer, okay? But the, the ability to use that DNA has gotten better and better over years. And I guess everywhere it kind of says they were waiting for the DNA to catch up. And I guess it kind of caught up. And that hair was a big part of it. So once they had that single 
strand of hair, they were able to match it to this type of DNA. And then they were able, all they needed then was something of his to match off of that. And the pizza, great work by the detectives. So watch this guy throw the pizza away and be able to get that pizza out of the garbage without someone yelling and screaming. And what are you doing? Hey, leave that alone. You know, something like that from a city street corner. I wouldn't imagine if I would imagine that I'm just thinking if they had seen him dump things or do things on his way home, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a detective lying on the ground dressed like a homeless person just waiting for him to throw something out and to get into the garbage can. I don't know that. I'm just assuming that would be a pretty cool way to do it. If I was one of the investigators, if I was the lead investigator, I'd be thinking of that, waiting for him to throw something out in the garbage. But it was tremendous the way they matched the pizza DNA to the DNA from the strand of hair. And I think that really was kind of what put it together. Apparently, though, they had that over a year ago, right? And they were waiting to, to get more evidence and more evidence. To, you always want to make sure you have the best case possible once you make an arrest to get a conviction, right? You don't want to make an arrest and lose it over something stupid or something you didn't do proper. So I think they were very precise in what they did. They took everything step by step. They put together a master plan and they followed that plan right through. Uh, I can't say it's not enough times what a great job they did. You know, uh, you know before 9-11, the, the different departments, the state, the feds, the locals, we didn't always work really great together. We're always vying for who was the better department and who could do things better. But since 9-11, over these last 20-something years, I think we see a, a need for the departments to work closer and closer. And a new generation of leaderships over the years has made that happen. And that's so impressive and so much an important part of law enforcement. Absolutely. And uh, when I let you close here, Mike, you know, I think about just uh, probably tears of joy uh, from law enforcement when they pieced this together and they finally felt they had a good lock solid case, um, at least on these three to, to put the guy behind bars and, and make this bust. Um, just personally, um, what do you think this meant? And also, it means so much to the community and to America, but especially to everybody who just had their heart and soul in this. You know, it's so important that people realize what law enforcement does and what police officers and detectives around the country do. And sometimes as we talk about this crazy place we're living in nowadays, the fun police, we don't need police. It's so important that people see the work that goes on here and how much these people care. This had nothing, this weren't these detectives' families. It wasn't part of their, their lives, but their job is part of their lives. And their job is so important. They want to bring closure to people and help people. I think that's so important. But a, a key thing to think of here, Rita, too, this isn't over. These guys will maybe take a little, you know, have a little smile, have a, a cocktail, pat each other on the back, but they're jumping right back into this the next day. And they're looking to solve the other six homicides. And they're going to keep working on this. This is not going away. They're not going to be happy until each one is solved, each case is brought to an end, and they've got the right person and has that conviction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and bravo to them for staying with this and giving answers, hopefully, on so many other cases, too, as well. Um, everybody, be sure to subscribe and share to this very powerful podcast. Uh, Mike Sapraconi, first of all, thank you so much for your great service to our country. And also, uh, obviously, bravo to all the tremendous men and women in law enforcement who piece this together and work so hard and tirelessly every single day. Rita, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. And everybody, I'll be back soon with another great edition of Protecting America. And of course, you can catch me every weeknight, 10 p.m. to midnight on the legendary WABC Radio. This is Rita Cosby, and thanks for all you do to protect America.
This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.